Some believe the boogeyman is just an all-too-common term we use to describe an unknown fear that lurks in our closet or under the bed. What would you say if I told you he was real and lived among us years ago? Join me as we unravel Albert Fish, also known as Boogeyman's dark and twisted past, and how this ordinary-looking gentleman got his horrific title. All of this and more on the podcast that has no boundaries here on Loot News. Quick disclaimer, listener discretion is advised during our main topic of Albert Fish. You have been warned. Good morning, afternoon, or evening to everyone listening to this BEA beautiful podcast host on Lude News. This episode, we have a unique killer that many may not, you know, even heard of, but his name is Albert Fish, also known as the Boogeyman. But it's not the number of kills necessarily; it's the unique part of his life. You know, um, what he did to people as well as he done to himself. Anyways, as just that's just a whole can of worms will we'll open up right to it in a few here. But first thing is first, trending Twitter. Hashtag why I drank before 21. Sounds uh, pretty interesting. At Mr. L386, why I drank before 21. I'm an overachiever. I wanted to get a head start on my alcoholism. Real, real good guy there. At Real Susan Dixon, I'm Canadian. The drinking age is 18 because, you know, we're civilized, which I did spell correctly. She spelled it with a S. Moving right along. Um, Steve underscore D24. You could flip the digits to 12 and the answer would still be the same. I'm Scottish. I get it. I get it. At Laura underscore Owens 01. And, and you know, she makes a point here. Um, very Talk about touchy topics. That's what we're all about. That's a whole nother thing, which I'll get into. The U.S. still don't understand the idiocy of being able to fight for our country before you can legally drink as a civilian. And, you know, I let me know. Shoot me a message, an email, um, or a tweet, and uh, message me on Twitter, whatever. But tell me, you know, if you want to discuss that, uh, I'll put a main topic on it. And the main topic about, you know, the, the, the argument that a person can fight at 18 but can't drink legally until 21. Like I said, I'm not going to get into it because that's just a, that's a whole podcast on its own. But anyways, food for thought. Message me if that's something that you'd want to hear or my side of the story on it. At Lil Onyx, because teenagers aren't exactly known for the decision-making skills. I will agree with uh, Lil. Lil Onyx. Hashtag, there should be a law. Now, these are, these are pretty... Pretty good ones here. But at Kimberly Henry, that a woman's pants have to have real pockets. And uh, I don't I don't know. Anybody uh, want to comment on that? Also shoot me a tweet. I don't know. At Dana Little Godin, there should be a law that every time a politician lies, they receive a shock so we all know when they're lying. And I will agree with that. That'd be pretty cool. But there might be a lot of shocking, though. So... Another whole entire podcast on its own. At Square Earth 2, 
There should be a law if you leave the restroom without washing your hands. I will agree with Square. I'll completely agree with Square. That's, I mean, that is, you know, it's nasty. It is, it is plain nasty when you don't wash your hands. I wash my hands, make my kids wash their hands. Come on, man. I mean, it just takes two seconds. Two seconds. Wash your hands. Be done. Move on. Okay. Uh, at Hollyan Huron, there should be a law that blocks you from Googling your medical symptoms. And I will also agree with this as well. That's, ab- you know, that's absolutely true. I mean, I think we're all, you know, pretty sure we can all agree, you know, that if you feel sick or your head's hurting, your butt, it doesn't matter. You know, Google says, listen, your back's hurting. You got cancer. Your eye's hurting. It's eye cancer. Legs, leg cancer. Get where I'm going with this. Everything ends with cancer. You know, it's like a tree that you you go through all the points. Yeah, here, there. If you have this symptom, look up. If you have this symptom, look down. Look right. Look left. But wherever the end is, the cheese, the cheese is cancer. So I will agree. Okay, Ryan Bartholom. There should be a law requiring Twitter to have an edit button, like Facebook. And that's that's a good that's a good idea, because I I, I do like that you can edit if you mess it up versus, you know, copying the, copying the text. And then delete that one, then paste, then change it that way. The only thing I don't like on Facebook is if you edit something, you can see it's been edited. Because like a lot of people need to know that I'm an idiot and I can't spell, you know. At Lizley, there should be a law against people who chew with their mouth open. Also very, very uh, valid, valid, valid point here. Listen, I understand people eat with their mouth open. It's barely open, whatever, you know, as you're chewing. But, you know, someone don't need to see your, your mouth, you know, or your mouth, your your throat, you know, your tonsils or whatever. I'll agree. Amberly 699. There should be a law that you must know where your small children are when you're in public. Where do I, where do I, uh, where do I start with this? That's absolutely true. Okay, if you're adult enough to have children, be adult enough to watch your children. I mean, come on, man. I got three kids of my own. You know, I got three kids. I, I go to the store. I know it's going to be a battle with three kids. I already know. Therefore, I'm not there to watch ten kids. I'm not a daycare, you know. Let's get that straight. I'm not a daycare. Or, you know, what I hate also, I know I'm going on a little rant off the off the docks here a little bit. When I take my kids, you know, to a mall and I let them play, you know, on the foam and on the, uh, you know, soft bacon and, you know, whatever. They're playing around, and then you got little Jimmy here. You know, dad's on Facebook, swipe, swipe, like, like, or whatever. He's watching YouTube videos, whatever he's doing. And, you know, little Jimmy's running full speed, knocking my kids off. I'm telling you, it takes me every fiber of my being not to yell at that kid and then only pray to the Almighty that the gentleman asks, well, what, what, what are you yelling? I can only hope that would escalate to that point where I can blow the guy's mind with knowledge that you're a garbage parent that can't wash your kids. You, you don't drop them off. You're there for them to have fun. Y'all watch them. It, it, also not daycare. You ain't paying for it. It's not free. Anyways, moving, moving on before I get way too into it. Ice crystal punch. There should be a law that cars are made so that if you don't have your turn signal on, then the car itself will not turn. I could not agree more but that'd be dangerous i mean there'd be a lot of wrecks there's a lot of people who don't signal there isn't 
and I want a dash cam. And I think if the dash cam showed me hit a guy that was turning without a tail light, you know, on or turning signal on, I don't think I should get in trouble. I mean, why put it on the vehicle if you ain't going to use it? You use your headlights, don't you? Which we have made that automated now because people are ignorant, don't know when to turn them on. And also, I, I know we got a lot of touch at that. I'm just going to rant again. Is what really ticks me off is simple. If it's raining, I don't care if it's daytime. I don't care if it's like 2 in the mo- two p.m. I don't care. If it's an overcast and it's raining hardcore and you can't drive in it, then pull off the road. Don't go extremely slow and turn your hazards on as if that's all right. When I'm going 50, I'll go a little under, of course. What's that, like 10 under to be safe? I'll do that, but I'm not going 35 on a, on a 65-plus road, you know? And all those people that don't have their headlights on. I think if I was a cop and I seen somebody don't have their headlights on when it's raining, I'm automatically going to pit maneuver them on the side of the road. I'm not going to give them a ticket. I'm just going to pit them off on the side of the road, let them call their insurance company, and figure it out. But the cool part is, is they're off the side of the road, so they're not going to kill nobody else being dumb. Okay, moving. Moving right along here. We got a streamer spotlights. Dr. Disrespect roasts Bad Bunny for demanding subs. Now, this is not the first time. Disrespect's in my uh, spotlights a lot. He preaches it how it is. Whether you like to hear it or not, he preaches it. Anyways, story goes. After Bad Bunny loses it over her lack of subs and donations, Dr. Disrespect puts her in her place in the most hilarious way possible. Now, see, look, I I get it, okay? You get mad because you you got a lack of subs and donations. But, I mean, I understand that everybody, when it comes down to it, especially if they're making a living off of it now, they do care about subs and donations. But you can't front that always to people that, you you know, you don't want to be that used car salesman. It's not good business. Anyways, last week, a popular Twitch streamer, Bad Bunny, came under fire as she got angry at her chat for not subscribing or donating. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You know, me getting mad at him. She hated the fact that she was working for free while chat lurkers got hours of content without spending a dime. That's ridiculous. Working for free. There was definitely an obvious air of entitlement, and it got picked up on pretty much everyone watching, including fellow streamers. They took it to Twitter to point out how much of a crybaby Bad Bunny was being, but Dr. Disrespect took his roasting to the next level, where other Twitch streamers just reposed Bad Bunny's footage on her being a jerk. The Good Doctor creates his own film trilogy, which that's why I love Dr. Disrespect, man. In part one, we see Dr. Disrespect in a cyberpunk-style car, which if you guys have watched any Dr. Disrespect um, streams, he usually starts out in something awesome, wicked. But it's been lately the car, the DeLorean-looking car. While he's on the phone with his manager, the discussion has quite a few parallels with Bad Bunny's earliest outburst. I've been live for 10 minutes now, and there's not just enough people subbing to the channel. Dr. Disrespect complains. I don't work for free. After a few moments of back and forth, Dr. Disrespect slowly turns to the camera, as though realizing he's being watched for the first time. Then we, see, then we see that his phone is an ancient flip phone. And of course, an obvious prop. But in the part two of the video, we see that the conversation continue with strategizing on how to get his chat room more involved. Just to make sure no one's watching for free. I just got a $500 donation. So I'm set, to, I'm set for like an hour. He says later, revealing that his manager's actually his mom. But he didn't stop there. It's a trilogy. 
in part three of the video. Dr. Disrespect compares his channel to HBO, and now he's actually a much better deal. How much does it cost to have HBO for a month? It's a $14 extension. What do you get? Outdated content. This is hardly the first time Dr. Disrespect has taken aim at fellow streamers. Last month, he roasted Ninja for his new Adidas shoes while hitting Shroud for skipping the game awards. Oh, man. Dr. Disrespect, he's, he's something else. Like I said, I, I love him. I love him. People don't because he's forward. You know, he says something that, that agitates people, but he speaks the truth. Hold on here, guys and girls. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> this next uh, streamer story, a little bizarre for my usual, but I figured it'd be all right. Streamer poops his pants directly into a microphone. That's right, ladies and gents. Streamer poops his pants directly into a microphone. Another Twitch streamer has pooped themselves live on camera, which really kills me because, I mean, who else is pooping themselves on camera? But anyways, we can't stop wondering why this seems to be an ongoing trend. Once again, a Twitch streamer has pooped their pants live while on stream. Honest question, why do we find poop to be so humorous? According to Cracked, a solid source for poop jokes, if there was ever one, our species has been enjoying scatological humor since at least the Middle Ages. The Atlantic reports that poop humor goes back to ancient Greek times, where in the ruins of Pompeia, one can read this line, Apollinaris the doctor of the Imperial Titus defecated well here. One might assume there was something lost in translation, but by some Latin speakers in the office, that is the accurate reading. But flash forward to 2020. We have a modern streaming services ensuring that we're never more than five minutes away from another fart or poop joke. Twitch streamer American Dad decided to lend his name to history with the world's first fart mic which we can only assume was a microphone directly at his anus in order to catch even the tiniest puff of wind. Only it didn't quite work out that way. Instead of methane and sulfur, American Dad produced somewhat more liquid waste. Or at least that's what it sounded like. That's the sort of the problem with the microphone directed at your butt. We can hear everything. I think I just pooped my pants. American Dad said after a good two seconds of donning horror. I think I just crapped my pants. Moments later, the worst is confirmed. Not that we actually needed to know, but the sound produced could only have been made by the passage of something other than gases through the anal cavity, in case y'all wonder where it came from. Hopefully, those weren't his favorite pair of underpants. Reddit user Newtman notes that it likely means American Dad requires more fiber in his diet and recommends a fiber supplement to prevent runny farts. Personally, I re recommend... Brand buds for breakfast. But you do you. By far one of the craziest, craziest uh, streamer spotlight stories in our uh, podcast goes to American Dad streamer. Check it out. Google it. Next, the streamer goes a little bonkers after 42 hours of streaming in two days. So he's, what, six, six hours shy of two straight days worth of gaming. Now, many gamers have probably thought about pursuing a career in the industry. Games design, for instance, what could be better than to be paid to do the thing you love? That's everybody's ultimate career dream, which, I mean, I will agree at one point in my life. The thing about that is that we often just don't know what goes on behind the scenes, what a job in the industry really entails, the grind, the pressure, the increasing number of publishers and developers facing a backlash for enforcing crunch on their employees so as to meet deadlines. 
It's not the dream you might think is to friends. The same applies to YouTubers and streamers. The biggest personalities, the ninja, the PewDiePie, and such of the world attract astonishing viewers and make handsome sums in the process. What could be better? They are playing video games for their adoring fans. Again, though, the harsh reality is different. The hours some of the committed players put in, you know, not only in the terms of play, but of video editing and etc., might surprise you. It's not as glamorous a life as it may sound. Sometimes the grind of it all can cause even the best of us to go just a little off the rails. In the Simpsons episode, Homer and Apu, Apu is asked about the legendary 96-hour shift he once worked. The clerk explained that it really happened, admitting that by the end of the day, I thought I was a hummingbird of some kind. Destiny 2? Streamer Glad probably knows that feeling firsthand. After over 42 hours of streaming in a two-day period, he was clearly feeling the strain. We don't think that he makes a point of routinely taping a sneaker to the side of his face while howling like a small dinosaur suffering from constipation. It wasn't the popular streamer's proudest moment, but it's one that viewers carefully uploaded to LivestreamFails.com all the same. A lesson learned, marathon streams for charity, for instance, wonderful acts that have benefited all kinds of important causes. But your health has to come first route, though. Burnout is a very real and very dangerous thing that can affect everybody. But whatever kind of work they do, let's all take care of ourselves. And that is true. I, I, I agree. I do agree that it probably is rough. Probably really is really rough. Moving on. Odd news headlines. National Weather Service warns of falling iguanas in Miami. The National Weather Service has warned people in South Florida of the possibility of falling iguanas in advance of cold weather. This isn't something we usually forecast, but don't be surprised if you see iguanas falling from the trees tonight as lows drop in the 30s and 40s. The Miami National Weather Service office wrote in a tweet, The NWS noted that iguanas are cold-blooded animals and slow down or become immobile when the weather drops below 40 degrees. Iguanas often rest and take shelter in trees and can potentially fall from their perches while in the state. They may fall from trees, but they're not dead, the NWS said, which is completely crazy. I mean, just, you know, be hearing thumps and thuds and you see a bunch of iguanas sliding off your roof into the ground into the pool. I understand they won't die. What happens if, you know, slides off into a pool or breaks its neck? Come on, man, that's, that's first world problems. Woman finds large snake in apartment bathroom. Police in Britain were called to an apartment where a woman discovered an unusual intruder in her bathroom. A very large snake. Merseyside police said officers were called to the apartment of Brunswick Muse, Birkenhead, when the woman discovered a six to eight foot boa constrictor slithering around her bathroom. Police said that they were unable to receive any assistance from animal rescue groups during the 1 a.m. call. So an officer who has experience handling snakes was summoned to the scene. Uh... Roger that. Will uh, the snake handler please come to this address here? Over. The officer identified the snake as a non-venomous boa constrictor and was able to coax the animal into unraveling itself in the bathroom sink by giving it some water. Huh. The resident and her neighbors said that they had no idea where the snake could have come from. Police said the server has been placed in a temporary home while the police attempt to find its owner. Merseyside police also tweeted afterwards, For many thought of an eight-foot boa constrictor can cause 
hysteria before our officers rescuing the snake was all in a day's work. I, I had to read it. Hiss, hysteria. Yeah, I know. It's lame. It is lame. But moving right along. Two record-breaking fish reeled in by West Virginia anglers. WV? West Virginia officials said a pair of anglers broke state records in the first two weeks of the year with a 53.1-inch grass carp and a 49.84-inch blue catfish. The West Virginia Division of Natural Resources said Zachary Atkins of Cabins broke a state record January 3rd when he went fishing at Warden Lake in Hardy County and reeled in the 53.1-inch grass carp, which beat the previous 50.75-inch carp caught in 2005. The division said the fish weighed in at 59 pounds, falling short of the record of 71.69 pounds. A second record was beaten January 11th when Justin Connor of Calden reeled in a 49.84-inch, 58.38-pound blue catfish from the Ohio River O-H-I-O, in Mason County. The fish was more than two inches over the previous state record, but fell short of the 59.74-pound record for weight. All right. I know what you're all waiting for if you listen to this uh, preview. Boogeyman, a.k.a. Albert Fish. Get right into it. Hamilton Howard Albert Fish, born May 19, 1870, and lived to January 16, 1936, was an American serial killer, child rapist, and cannibal. He was also known as the Gray Man, the Werewolf of Wisteria, the Brooklyn Vampire, the Moon Maniac, and the Boogeyman. Fish once boasted that he had killed children in every state, and at one time he stated his number of victims was about 100. However, it's not known whether he was referring to rapes or cannibalization, nor is it known if the statement was true at all. Fish was a suspect in at least five murders, during his lifetime, Fish confessed to three murders that police were able to trace to a known homicide. He confessed to stabbing at least two other people. He was put on trial for the kidnapping and murder of Grace Budd and was convicted and executed by an electric chair. His crimes were dramatized in the 2007 film The Gray Man, starring Patrick Buici as Fish. Now, Albert's childhood. He was born in Washington, D.C. on May 19, 1870 to Randall, 1795, to October 16, 1875, and Ellen, 1838-1903. Fish's father was American of English ancestry and his mother was Scott-Irish. Scott-Irish-American. His father was 43 years older than his mother and 75 years old at the time of his birth. Fish was the youngest child and had three living siblings, Walter, Annie, and Edwin. He wished to be known as Albert after a dead sibling and to escape the nickname of Ham and Eggs that he was given at the orphanage in which he spent most of his childhood. Fish's family had a history of mental illness. His uncle suffered from mania. A brother was confirmed in a state mental hospital. His sister was diagnosed with mental affliction. Three other relatives were diagnosed with mental illnesses. And his mother had a rural or 
visual hallucinations. Fish's father, Randall, was a riverboat captain and by 1870, a fertilizer manufacturer. The elder Fish died in 1875 at Washington's 6th Street Station of a heart attack. The Congressional Cemetery records records show that he died on October 16, 1875 and was buried on October 19, 1875. In grave, R9689. Fish's mother then put her son into a St. John's orphanage in Washington where he was frequently abused. He began to enjoy, though, the physical pain that his beatings brought of his time in the orphanage. Fish remarked, I was there till I was nearly nine, and that's where I got started wrong. We were immensely whipped. I saw boys doing many things they should not have done. In 1880, his mother had a government job and was, was able to remove Fish from the orphanage. In 1882, at age 12, he began a relationship with a telegraph boy. The youth introduced Fish to such practices as urolanian, which is drinking urine, and coprophagia, which is eating feces. Fish began visiting public baths where he could watch other boys undress and spent a great portion of his weekends on these visits. But throughout his life, he would write obscene letters to women whose names he acquired from the classified advertising and matrimonial agencies. Matrimonial agencies. But from 1890 to 1918, during his early adulthood, we have some criminal history. By 1890, Fish arrived in New York City, and he said at the point he became a prostitute and began raping young boys. In 1898, his mother arranged a marriage for him with Anna Mary Hoffman, who was nine years his junior. They had six children, Albert, Anna, Gertitude, Eugene, John, and Henry Fish. Throughout 1898, he worked as a house painter. He said he continued molesting children, mostly boys younger than age six. He later recounted an incident in which a male lover took him to Waxworks Museum, where Fish was fascinated by a bisection of a human genitalia. After that, he became obsessed with sexual mutilation. In 1903, he was arrested for grand larceny, convicted and incarcerated in Sing Sing. Around 1910, while he was working in Wilmington, Delaware, Fish met a 19-year-old man named Thomas Kedden. He took Kedden to where he was staying and two began sodomistic relationship. You can correct me on that. Whenever. It's unclear whether or not Fish forced you know, Kedden to do these things, but in his confession, he implies the man was intellectually disabled. After 10 days... Fish took Kedden to an old farmhouse where he began to torture him. The torture took place over two weeks. Fish eventually tied Kedden up and cut half off his genitalia. I shall never forget his scream or the look he gave me. Fish later recalled he originally intended to kill Kedden, cut up his body and take it home, but he was feared the hot weather would draw attention to him. Instead, Fish poured 
peroxide over the wound, wrapped it in Vaseline, covered a handkerchief, left a $10 bill, kissed Kedden goodbye, and left. Took first train I could get back home. Never heard what become of him or tried to find out, Fish said. In January 1917, Fish's wife left him for John Strabu, a handyman who boarded with the Fish family. Fish then had to raise his children as a single parent. After his arrest, Fish told a newspaper that when his wife left him, she took nearly every possession the family owned. He began to have an auditory hallucinations. He once wrapped himself in a carpet, saying that he was following the instructions of John the Apostle. It was about this time that Fish began to indulge in self-harm. He would embed needles into his groin and abdomen. After his arrest, x-rays revealed that Fish had at least 29 needles lodged in his pelvis region. He also hit himself repetitively with a nail-studded paddle and inserted wool doused with lighter fluid into his anus and set it alight. While he was never thought to have physically attacked or abused his children, he did encourage them and their friends to paddle his buttocks with the same nail-studded paddle he used to abuse himself. He soon developed a growing obsession with cannibalism. After preparing himself a dinner consistently solely of raw meat and sometimes serving it to his children. This guy is diabolical. But in the years of 1919 to 1930, things began to escalate fairly quickly. In about 1919, he stabbed an intellectually disabled boy in Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Fish chose people who were either mentally handicapped or African-American as his victims, explaining that he assumed these people would not be missed when killed. He also sounds like a racist. Um, He would later claim to occasionally pay boys to procure him other children. Fish tortured, mutilated, and murdered young children within his implements of hell, a meat cleaver, a butcher knife, and a small handsaw. On July 11, 1924, Fish found eight-year-old Patrice Gill playing alone at his parents' Staten Island farm. He offered her money to come help look for Ruhalb. She was about to leave the farm with her mother chased Fish away. Fish left but returned later to the kill's barn, where he tried to sleep but was discovered by a hand's kill and forced to leave. During 1924, the 54-year-old Fish, suffering from cyosis, felt that God was commanding him to torture and sexually mutilate children. This guy is garbage. Shortly before his abduction of Grace Bud, Fish attempted to test his implements on a child that he's been <clears throat> excuse me molesting, uh, molesting named Cyril Quinn Quinn and his friend were playing box ball on a sidewalk when Fish asked him that the two boys were wrestling on Fish's bed they dislodged his mattress underneath it was a knife a small handsaw and a meat cleaver they became frightened and ran out of the apartment and I don't blame them I would have too Fish remarried on February 6, 1930, in Waterloo, New York, to Estella Wilcox, but divorced after only one week. Fish was arrested in May 1930 for sending an obscene letter to a woman who answered the advertisement for a maid. Following that arrest in one in 1931, 
he was sent to the Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital for observation. Now, on May 25th, 1928, this is where it gets, you know, I'm only going to read so much of this letter. I've added a lot of it because it's just it's to a point where I'm not going to get to. Anyways, from 1918 to 1928, Grace Bud. On May 25th, 1928, Fish saw a classified advertisement in the Sunday edition of the New York World that read, Young Man, 18, Wishes Position and Country, Edward Budd, 406 West 15th Street on May 28, 1928. Fish then, at 58 years of age, visited the Bud family in Manhattan under the pretense of hiring Edward. He later confessed that he planned to tie Edward up, mutilate him, and leave him to bleed to death. He introduced himself as Frank Howard, a farmer from Farmingdale, New York. Fish promised to hire Bud and his friend Willie and said he would send them in a few days. He failed to show up but he sent a telegraph to Bud family apologizing and set a later date. When Fish returned, he met Grace Bud. He apparently changed his intended victim from Edward Bud to Grace Bud and quickly made up a story about having to attend his niece's birthday party. Somehow or another. Now this this what really blows my mind is he convinced the parents, Della Flangeron and Albert Bud, to let Grace accompany him to the party that evening. The elder Albert Bud was a porter for the United States Life Insurance Society. Grace had a younger sister, Beatrice, and two older brothers, Edward and George Bud, and a younger brother, Albert Bud II. Grace left with fish that day, but never returned. The police arrested 66-year-old Superintendent Charles Edwin Pope on September 5, 1930, as a suspect accused by Pope's estranged wife, he spent 108 days in jail. Between his arrest on trial and December 22, 1930, he was found, of course, not guilty. Now, the letter to the mother of Grace Budd. In November 1934, an anonymous letter was sent to the girl's parents, which ultimately led the police to fish. Mrs. Budd was illiterate and could not read the letter herself, so she had her son read it to her. The unaltered letter, complete with Fish's misspellings and grammatic, grammatical errors, reads, and like I've stated, you can look the letter up yourself if you want. I edited a few things, really I just deleted a few things, just because you get the gist of uh, how demonic and just evil this Albert Fish was. My dear Mrs. Bud, in 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on the streamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At that time, there was a famine in China. Meat of any kind was one to three dollars a pound. So, Great was the suffering among the very poor that all children under 12 were sold to the butchers to be cut up and sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under 14 was not safe in the street. You can go to any shop and ask for steak, chops, or stew meat. Part of the body 
be brought out and you know whatever you want to cut from it but John Stead there so long he acquired you know acquired a taste for human flesh on his return to New York he stole two boys one seven and one eleven first he killed eleven year old boy because he had the fattest and of course the most meat on it every part of his body was cooked and eaten except the head bones and guts he was roasted in the oven boiled broiled fried and stewed the little boy was next went the same way at the time I was living at 409 East 100 Street near the right side he told me so often how good human flesh was I made up my mind to taste it on Sunday June the 3rd 1928 I called up on you and at 406 West 15th Street brought you pot cheese strawberries. I made up my mind to eat her on the pretense of talking, taking her to the party. You said yes, she could go. I took her to the empty house in Westchester, already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in the closet until she was in the room. I cut her in small pieces so I could take my meat to my rooms, cook, and eat it. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. Police investigated the letter. The story concerning Captain Davison famine in Hong Kong could not be verified. The part of the letter concerning was the murder of Grace Budd. However, it was found to be accurate in the description of the kidnapping and subsequent events, although it was impossible to confirm whether or not Fish has actually eaten parts of Grace's body. The letter was delivered in an envelope that has a small hexagonal emblem with the letters NYPCBA, representing New York Private Shafir's Bonavalent Association. A janitor at the company told the police it had taken some of the stationery home but left it in his room house at 200 East 52nd Street when he moved out. The landlady of the room housing said that Fish checked out of the room a few days earlier. She said that Fish's son sent him money and asked her to hold it as next check for him. William F. King was the chief investigator for the case. He had waited outside the room until Fish returned. Fish agreed to go to the headquarters for questioning, then brandished a razor blade. King disarmed Fish and took him to the police headquarters. Fish then made no attempt to deny the murder of Grace Budd saying that he meant to go to the house to kill Edward Budd, Grace's brother. But, with all of that said, that is somewhat a dip into the boogeyman. Or his real name, Albert Fish. But man... This this has been a tense episode with you know a dark twisted gentleman, but we you know we're at the end of the episode now. Remember, loot news is an ad free podcast and it always will be. Donating is never a requirement, but if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by signing up for the one dollar month on Patreon.com forward slash loot news. It's the only tier I have. It's because I care about content more so than money itself. Also, make sure to follow my socials. Both Twitter and Instagram handles are at Loot News. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. The Facebook group 
is at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash loot news or you can just search it loot news podcast junkies to join there's no requirements press the join button voila anyways thanks and continue to have a good rest of your morning afternoon or evening